Welcome to Working on Wellbeing, where we share stories of purpose-driven people doing good in the world. We'll meet change agents, entrepreneurs, students, teachers, and big thinkers to learn about their wow moment and how it got them to where they are today. This show is brought to you by Salary Finance, and I'm your host, Anita Ward, cultural anthropologist and chief development officer at Salary Finance. Welcome to our show, everybody, working on well-being. Today, we're live from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. I'm assuming you're home today, Linda. And we're with one of my favorite people in the world, Miss Linda Loof. She's the SVP from one of my most favorite companies in the world, by the way, Meta Payment Systems. So welcome to the show, Linda. I'm really excited to have you today. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Anita. Of course. Now, you know, I'm Italian and Italians have this concept of conciliary. And it's kind of someone that you turn to when you need guidance and a level head. And I have known Linda now for about, gosh, seven years. Hard to believe it's been that long. But Linda's been a conciliary to me so many times. And she's that valuable friend that you have who just keeps a level head. But what's so important about it is it's she knows our industry. She knows financial services. She knows payments. And I don't know it as well as she does because that's a whole different rail, forgive the pun. Um, But how do you successfully traverse the payments and financial services world? And Linda has worked with me from, you know, I've seen her work with CEOs at one minute and the next minute we're in the community in flip-flops, you know, handing out gift cards. And she's just got this grace around this. So she won't talk about herself because she's way too humble. But I have never seen a better servant leader who does it with humor, who does it with kindness, who encourages people. I mean, you inspire me. And for me, it's that authenticity. But Linda also, she started her career in banking, right? I think it was bank first, but it's always been in client relations. So I share that framework because coming from the client relations side takes empathy. And for the last I'll say 20, but she looks like she's 22. So I don't know how that happened. But for the last 20 years, she's been in leadership roles at Meta Payment Systems and client services in business development, in partner services. And now she takes care of all their strategic accounts. So it's quite a pedigree, but I started with her character for a reason because it's this love leadership that's so critical. And I hope we dive down into because there's no way to talk about financial services and financial literacy and financial uplift without really thinking about empathy and authenticity. So thank you so much for coming today, Linda, and for sharing your time. Well, thank you, Anita. I don't, with an introduction like that, I hope people are not disappointed in what I have to say. (laughs) Just exemplifies what I'm saying. So there's, there's a lot of directions we could take the conversation, but if it's okay with you, I'd like to start in Sioux Falls. <laughs> now, not because it's sort of the credit card capital of the world, and it's we could take that in a lot of different directions, but it also seems to be a pretty well-kept secret, so I might be moving in with you. Like, It's the fifth best place to live in America. I had no idea. And the healthiest city in America. So... 
Did you grow up there? How did you land in Sioux Falls? Yeah, no, I, I'm born and raised here in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And um, I've traveled all around the country and some parts of the world, you know, in my time on this planet. But it is home to me here. You know, I am one of nine children. I'm number eight out of the nine. And so I grew up in a really big family. And interestingly enough, in this day and age, we all still live within 45 miles of each other. We are all still here in this nucleus of a place. Um, I love it here. I think it's a great place to be. It's a great place to raise a family. It's not a big city, but we have some of the amenities of the city. We're not out in the, the wide open space, but we have wide open space very close to us. So I think it's kind of the best of everything. So nine kids, number eight. So I, I will tell you, I've raised one and I think, oh my gosh, and how do you make any, but what was that like in, with eight kids in your family? And, you know, we're talking about financial literacy. Did you talk about money at home? How did your parents go about that conversation? You know, uh, we didn't, we talked about it only in, in the context of not having any Financial literacy is not something that I was really familiar with until I got into my professional career. But we I grew up in a house that, you know, for all of the the lack of, of material things, we always had a roof over our heads and we always had food to eat. Sometimes it was, you know, the generosity of others that helped us to be there. You know, my parents were both from bigger families, from farm families, actually. And when they were first married, they had four children, they bought a farm. So, you know, I could have been another, a different story altogether. But at that point in time, my dad had some health issues and they started then. And, and basically he, he had them on and off for the rest of his life, which then caused financial hardship for my family. Um, and so we lived, you know, I was eight out of nine. I lived a little bit different life than my oldest brothers and sisters, because by the time I was growing up, you know, we really, my dad was not working. My mom was working a minimum wage job. Um, you know, she worked for a, a small family owned business for 35 years. She retired making less than what is now minimum wage. But I think back and I think I didn't realize how poor we actually were. <laughs> so that's a testament, I think, to the way that my parents um, found ways to make ends meet. I think it's a testament to, you know, that our financial freedom wasn't our happiness. But I do know that, you know, it, it was difficult in a lot of ways, having very little financial leverage, if you will. Um, like I said, we didn't talk about it, though. And as I got older, what I knew was that you needed money to live in the world. We live in a society that you know our economy drives everything. And so I knew that you needed to make money to, to survive. I didn't ever put the importance of wealth in my mind. I just thought, you go to work, you get a job, you work hard, you earn a wage, you pay your way, um, is really how I started my adult life. Yeah. So I think about, you know, I've traded stories in the past. You know, I, I grew up the similar way without, you know, without really a home, but moving between cousins and friends. And but my mom, I would put her against any CFO that I know because she could make that dollar last. Right. So even though you don't really think about it as a child, you're seeing these these ways that that your parents make ends meet. So are there any lessons that you learned from that early age that maybe is something that you're telling your kids or something that, you know, flips around and you say, what I saw was this and 
this was pretty compelling for me because I always think about my mom making $200, you know, last a month. And I, I, I don't know that I could do that today. No, I don't think I could do it today either. But we do talk about it with our kids because we and we contrast, right? We talk about the life that we live today is not the life that I grew up in. It's not the life that many people have. Like I said, I think, you know, the lesson I learned there is that material, you know, money makes life easier, but it doesn't make life better necessarily. It isn't happiness. It's not really what you should strive for. You know, it certainly gives you freedom and gives you options and choices that you don't have if you don't have money. But like I said, we we lived a, a happy life. So the lessons for my kids are don't take for granted and you need to work hard and earn your way. But be smart with what gifts you are given in this world. And if that's, if it's financial, because you find a career that you make a good living at and and you have material, that's fine, but that's not the purpose that we're here for. I often talk about the difference between having wealth or having money, but also just basic financial dignity. So a lot of people that you and I work with don't really have even basic dignity around money. So I had this wow moment when I was a kid where an employer leaned in and helped me understand what my paycheck was and why I needed a bank account. And that changed a bit of my life and really started to take me down a financial dignity path. Did you ever have one of those moments where you think, gosh, this changed where my journey went or this changed the trajectory of what I'm thinking. Because I I always remember that as uh, having shaped me and put me into financial services. Was there something that compelled you in a similar fashion? You know, not one particular thing. I think, you know, for me, it's, it's like what I said, I don't, money is a means to an end. It's, but it's not my purpose. So it wasn't anything, earning money never drove me to do what I do. I like the reward that I get when I work hard and I do a good job and I use that money then, you know, to do things that are meaningful and matter to me. And I think part of that is, you know, even my parents with nothing, they were generous with what they did have. And, you know, what I learned from that is that generosity takes many forms. Sometimes it is material. Sometimes it is giving money to a cause. Sometimes it is supporting it financially. But lots of times it's empowering people. It's lifting them up. It's helping them understand and believe that they too can do things in their lives to create those options for themselves and those choices. And that is going to be well, you know, the the payment industry discussion. I think that's the heart and soul of that. So. When we first met, it was over this, we bonded over this shared commitment to, you know, financial uplift in underserved communities and for women. And last year was miserable. I mean, the pandemic was horrible by very nature, but it didn't fall evenly across our population. Uh, when we first met, we, we got together with this sort of shared commitment around financial uplift we were both focused on helping underserved communities and you know flash forward 5 years or 6 years and a pandemic hits everybody and life gets incredibly miserable but it becomes worse for people of those same populations and i talk about how 73% of african americans and latinx adults lack emergency funds 
and 48% of that same population has trouble paying their bills every single month. And, you know, 60% of payday loans go to women with a, a very high proportion of that being women of color. And all of this resonates so deeply with me. So when you reflect on that, why is it why is it so deep to you? And what do you think we should be doing about it? And you know, should be we be dealing with this as employers and in the payment services industry and in financial services and all of us as providers? How how can we start to address those socioeconomic issues? And and why do you know I get on a soapbox and you get on a soapbox and say we've got to do something and we have to do it now? Well, I, d- I think that as a financial service, as an industry, we are in a place, a unique place to actually do something about this. And it is about education. It is about financial literacy. It is about empowering, empowerment. But that starts with, I think you said at the top of the, the hour, it starts with empathy. It starts with putting ourselves in the shoes of the people that we're thinking about. And you know, I'm not one of the demographic, but I told you about, you know, how I grew up. There are things in my life that, you know, that I can relate to struggles that people have when they don't have money and they don't have financial freedom. And I think that, you know, we work in an industry that can make it really difficult for people to access the tools that they need and the education they need and the, you know, even have visibility to the things that are available. We can make it easy or we can make it hard. And I think that as an industry, we need to strive to make it easy. So that's the role we play. We need products that can you know, generate the revenue that can continue to allow us to develop the products to bring them to the people that need them. So the industry um, you know, needs to exist you know, the way that it does. But we need people that think about who we're doing this for and how, you know, how we need to be delivering things to all of the different populations. So our industry needs to embrace all of those different things and have and have people that empathize and understand and can articulate the different problems that different groups have, because it's not the same across the board for everybody. Yeah, it's also quite different when you get down to a local level. So it's one thing to have these broad strategic initiatives. But as you know, you get to the you know small community in Austin and the situation is really quite different. So we have to have these strategies, but we have to be able to execute at a local level. And in my mind, that's perhaps where the payment industry is so effective because you, know, you are operating in many ways at a local level, at an individual level, right? Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, I think that's right. Well, I think as an industry, I mean, there are there are partners that we have in this industry and there are people in this industry that have a, a national footprint that have, you know, that have a bigger, broader view. But we need to think about how do we serve those communities? And it's the individuals in those communities. But I think also, Anita, it's how do we serve the small businesses and the community banks that are in those communities? They understand the people in that community better than anybody else can. They understand the needs that are there. They can help translate the services and the products that are offered to that local population, to your point. And I think that's why I love what I do, because I get to interact with people all over the country in all of these different areas. I get to learn a little bit about their particular situation, concerns and struggles. And then 
work with partners who can bring solutions to the table that help at that level. So I think that that is part of what the financial services industry needs to think about as well. I think you're right. Yeah, I think that if you if you look at the at businesses in general, they're starting to evolve into a, a, a much deeper role for an employer. And so what obviously at salary finance we're in the payments business as well, it's just a, a salary link payment. So you know when when I think about how do we leverage payments, there's also this evolution of the employer model, whether it's the small business helping or the large businesses you're working with on your strategic accounts, or the companies that we work with at Salary Finance, there's, I think, new and different role for an employer or for a business to uplift employees and uplift the community through employees. Are you seeing that as you're thinking about your strategic accounts and their role as employers or their role as community leaders? Is it changing and has 2020 had some kind of a, an effect on that? I think just by shining a light on the inequities as well. Yeah, I, I do think that's true. I mean, again, you know, we're working with companies that have, you know, the population they serve might be employers. The interesting thing is it's, it, it's all range of employers, but there's, you have access to people that you wouldn't otherwise and you can, you know, work with employers to deliver information and products and services to people that you would never find outside of that channel. I do think that that's, you know, should be capitalized on. I think that, um, you know, I think that it's a golden opportunity to reach more people. I mean, it's really about how do you get to the people that need this. And honestly, employers, you know, they they probably have another perspective on the employees that support their companies or work for their companies that we would never that we would never have they can they can again identify issues or concerns or problems that we wouldn't we wouldn't be able to figure out on our own without that um, sort of perspective so I do think that's right as far as 2020 and the impact I'm not I'm not sure how to answer that I think I think what has happened, obviously, for me, uh, from where I sit, what what I think has happened is that a bright light has been illuminating the the importance of the small business owner, the small business for the community, for the people in that community, the lack of a cohesive approach for the small businesses to help them. Um, you know, Anita, you and I have worked together on a couple of different things where we've talk to entrepreneurs and small business owners. And we've been in workshops together. We've listened to, you know, these women in particular um, who are, you know, this is the demographic we're talking about, but they're vital to our country and our economy. And I think that, you know, 2020 sort of really underscored and illuminated that reality for people who didn't ever pay attention to it before. I think it's now got some awareness. What we do about that is, you know, yet to be seen, I think, but definitely that's the direction that we need to be going. Yeah, I agree. One of my favorite memories is working with you and the women executives from MasterCard on those workshops for young women and um, entrepreneurs. And I will never forget how important it was. I mean, we went through a day of mentoring and leaning in around women and providing support 
but the awards that, that we gave them at the end were a few thousand dollars. And it made all the difference. I remember the tears and the happiness and the joy that, again, back to sort of my mom, that how they could make $5,000 stretch and change their businesses. So in some ways, I think this idea of financial well-being and leaning in around entrepreneurs is a DEI initiative as well. So we talk about broad you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. But I think in many ways, we do that at a very local level. You know, in our case, women to women, where, you know, it can't happen. It's not just a question of us being mentors, but at the end of the day, they need access to affordable capital. And that's part of what we gave them. So it's kind of this holistic piece that you're talking about, where you've got a piece of education that provides knowledge and resilience, but also you're making products and services available to people who have in many ways been marginalized either because of illiteracy around finance uh, around finances or credit scores or any number of obstacles that they have to work their way through so what do you see in, in the future around this uh are you seeing us in in payments starting to open those doors and having those conversations and are you optimistic about you know, change on the horizon for inclusion? Well, I'm always optimistic. I, I don't, that is my nature. I think I'm always, I'm, I always believe that things will be better tomorrow than they were yesterday. And I think there are so many people, more people than not who believe that as well and are striving to make the world a better place. I do think that, you know, there's just not an overnight solution for anything, but I've seen you know, in my time in this industry, I've had the privilege of working with some really brilliant, really brilliant people in financial services, um, really smart, really motivated, really driven. And they run companies and they build, you know, from startup to IPO to I, I've seen everything. And but what's most impressive to me are the people who do that work, but have a vision for how they can make the world a better place. And, you know, there's one gentleman in particular who was the CEO of a company that, that we work with. And he started, you know, he started this, he came in and he looked at what they were doing and their, you know, mantra was financial services for people on and, and underbanked, the underserved population. They were doing good work with the products they were putting in market, but he thought there's more that we can do. And to your point, Anita, it was he looked in his community and he said, you know, this community has supported this company and these people that work here and we want to give something back to them. So they started a program where they started giving back to the community and that transpired into uh, a scholarship program that they started and that my company was, you know, grateful to participate in in a way and and I was personally allowed to participate to meet some of the people that were recipients of these scholarships and you know you're you're talking about people that you know five hundred dollars or a thousand dollars was given as a scholarship to help them either get a certificate or finish a degree or do something that would that would better their lives and that five hundred dollars or that thousand dollars had an exponential return in the way that it changed their financial lives. And that was a you asked about aha moments. That was an aha moment for me because I always thought about, gosh, to change the world, you have to cure cancer or you have to save you know, a population or you have to. And the reality is that we each have a part to play in that. And where you end up in your life 
you're given certain gifts and you need to know what those gifts are, but you need to use your circumstance to actually um, make the world a better place. And so the people in the financial services industry, these, you know, this, like this gentleman I'm talking about, his circumstance and his situation, he looked around and said, this is what I'm going to do with that. And it changed, literally changed people's lives. And then, you know, of course, what happens is the ripple effect, because that the person that got the scholarship and got their certificate and doubled their income now turns around and does something for their community or for somebody else. And then it goes on from there, which is I'm going on a bit. But that is what excites me about the work that I do every day. Yeah. And, you know, that's what excites me, too, when there are, I don't know, seven million households that are unbanked and I think twice as many when you think about it as individuals who are unbanked. I mean, literally, I, I can't even imagine how do you navigate day to day without a bank account, without access. And I, I happen to know the gentleman you're talking about. Um, and I also know that, you know, they offer prepaid card and I'm a big fan of the card. And interventions that people need to make, whether that's, you know, not looking at credit score and underwriting personal loans using their factors or, you know, reevaluating credit scores completely or offering prepaid to help people find their way to financial dignity. And there's a wonderful story that my favorite memory with you, right, in Austin, maybe you tell the story. But I remember getting on public transportation. I remember, actually, I remember coming down from the elevator after you invited me to do this. And I remember having on a pair of heels and you sending me back up to my room saying, no, 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 you have no idea what we're doing today. So could you share a bit of that story? Because I think it really exemplifies what people are doing. (laughs) I do love that day. And I love that memory as well. Um, You know, we were out in the community. We were paying it forward or giving back, however you want to look at it. But we were really just going out and finding people that were going about their daily lives and going about their daily activities. And we were finding ways to just make their lives a little easier. We were giving them, we were buying groceries and we were paying bills and we were giving, putting gas in cars and just things that are every day that we take for such granted. And for some people, it's a real struggle with how are they going to pay that bill today or how are they going to buy groceries that week? And so we were just spending a day in the community and doing that. And we uh, met a woman who, you know, we, we felt compelled to go to her and offer to buy her groceries that day. Um, We learned a little bit about her life and her family and what was important to her. And the funny thing is, you know, as we were walking her out to her car and loading her groceries into her car with her, She's, she asked, who are you with again? And we, we, we told her who we were with. And she said, oh, I know that name. I used one of those prepaid cards. I, my daughter was in Chicago and she was stuck there. And I used one of those prepaid cards to load some money to it for her so she could get a bus ticket and she could come home to me. And it was that moment that I, it, that is one of the aha moments, Anita, because it was at that moment that I went, Wow. So this thing that I just think is banking and what we're doing in the office every day, and it had a literally, you know, life saving impact on this family and this woman. And I can't imagine having my child, you know, a thousand miles away from me that and being helpless to 
get them back to me and back to safety. So that was something that made me stop and think, I really need to understand the struggles that people have. I can't relate to that. I knew that it was life changing for her. And so, you know, it is really about understanding the products and the services that we put in market need to be accessible to the people that struggle the most to get them. And we, you know, we, we just need to do a better job of understanding where they're at so that we can go there, get there with them and help them. And Linda, I don't know how I could even begin to add to that. I started with this idea of the conciliary and I can't tell you how grateful I am that you included me that day because it's exactly as you said, suddenly what was a product or a service or an initiative or a strategy in our business speak was a lifeline for somebody in the community. And that changed my thinking. So you'll always be my conciliary and you'll always be, a, a, you know, my dear friend and the one with the biggest heart and the greatest empathy. And I think you will change the world of payments. And I do think that you will be that conscience to our industry. So thank you so much for joining us today. And I look forward to the next time we can connect in one of those communities together. Thanks so much. Thank you, Anita. I, I, uh, I will look forward to seeing you again, my friend. Thanks. I'll see you soon. Okay. Take care. Thank you, everybody. Until next time, just keep working on your well-being. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of Working on Wellbeing, brought to you by Salary Finance. I'm Anita Ward. At Salary Finance, our mission is to improve the financial health of working Americans by providing access to socially responsible financial products in the workplace. You can learn more about how you can partner with us to help improve your employees' financial well-being at salaryfinance.com. Don't forget to subscribe or follow so you don't miss an episode.